Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Now, time for the show. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here on the final day of 2018 with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. I trust that you had a joyous Christmas, and I wish all of you a happy new year as we celebrate another ride around the sun together. Today is a good time to reflect on the blessings of the past year, to thank God for them, and to trust that the new year will bring us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with one another and with God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. As my grandmother used to say, pray as if everything depended on God. Work as if everything depended on you. Grandma was a wise old woman, I'd say. So what were some of the blessings of this past year? As in all the past decades, both at UCLA and in our Logos Bible Study family, you, my students and listeners, are among my greatest blessings. For nearly 30 years now, I've had the joy of leading thousands of you through the Bible, verse by verse, Genesis through Revelation. Honestly, it's been the greatest privilege of my life, and I want to thank each and every one of you for joining me on our adventure together, reading and studying all of God's Word. As you know, I recorded all of my lectures at our Seal Beach class between 2005 and 2012. They've all been professionally edited by my sound engineer, Andrew Mencher, and all of those lessons, over 500 hours worth, are available book by book on audible.com. Just go to Audible and search Dr. Bill Creasy, and you'll find them. Those lessons grew out of the three-quarter-long undergraduate class that I taught at UCLA, the English Bible as Literature. That class was a lot of fun to teach, and so were the Seal Beach classes. With that series finished, in 2013, I began a new seven-year series through the Bible. But this time, I made two big changes. First, I raised the bar to a graduate school level, a much more in-depth study than anything I had done before. We're now in the sixth year of our study. I teach four live classes each week in Southern California, one on Monday mornings at St. Elizabeth Seton in Carlsbad, another on Monday evenings at St. Bede the Venerable in La Cañada, about an hour's drive north of Los Angeles. A third, down in Orange County at St. Irenaeus in Cyprus. And a fourth, back in San Diego at Our Mother of Confidence. <laughs> That's my weekly 500-mile circuit. I do the same lecture at each church, careful to keep them all in sync. And I record the lecture on Tuesday mornings at St. Irenaeus. So if I screw it up, I can record it again at Our Mother of Confidence. That's my safety net. Now, if you can attend one of the live classes, boy, I'd love to see you there. If not, 
you can still register as a remote student and receive for the courses I'm teaching the syllabus, the PowerPoints for each lesson, and the audio recordings of each lesson as I complete them building the course. Typically, a course runs for 10 weeks and includes 20 one-hour lectures and over 1,000 pages of written material, including photographs taken on site, Google Earth Maps, a detailed bibliography for each course, with hyperlinks to the books I recommend on Amazon.com, and a whole lot of other very cool stuff. Just go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Live Classes to register. Hey, the whole course is only $85 if you take it while I'm writing, teaching, and recording it. Our new winter quarter starts on January 22nd, and it runs for 10 weeks through March 26th. We'll be covering St. Paul's pastoral letters, that is, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, as well as his early epistles, Galatians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It should be a great course, and it's always fun to study and for me to teach St. Paul. The second change I made is to the content we cover. In all of my past teaching, I've taught what I call the common canon of Scripture, that is, the 39 books that all Jews and Christians accept as inspired Scripture in the, New, in the Old Testament, and the 27 books of the New Testament for a total of 66 books. This time through, I've included the deuterocanonical books, that is, Tobit, Judith, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom, Sirach, and Baruch those seven additional books in the Old Testament that Roman Catholics accept, as well as some additions to Daniel and Esther, for a total of 46 books. Eastern Orthodox churches accept five more Old Testament books, three and four Maccabees, one Esdras, the Odes, which include the Prayer of Manasseh, and Psalm 151, for a total of 51 books in their Old Testament. So, why include those additional books in our study? Well, for Roman Catholics, both the Council of Trent in the 16th century and the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s affirmed them as canonical. So that settles it for Roman Catholics. For Protestants, Martin Luther included them in his 1534 German translation of the Bible, referring to them as apocrypha, meaning hidden or obscure books, and saying that although, in his opinion, they're not equal to the Holy Scriptures, yet they're profitable and good to read. Thus, Luther introduced the concept of degrees of canonicity. The Roman Catholic Church includes the deuterocanonical books within the Old Testament, while most Protestant Bibles include them as an appendix, placing them between the Old and New Testaments and calling them the Apocrypha. In any case, our goal as Logos students is to become educated readers of Scripture. So, whether we're Roman Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, 
or not Christian at all, we should know and understand the Deuterocanonicals. I spent last quarter teaching the entire set, 20 hour-long lectures, and they'll be coming out soon in the Logos online classroom. St. Ambrose wrote, When we pray, we talk with God. When we read his word, we listen to him. Developing a relationship with God is like developing a relationship with anyone else. First of all, you have to spend time together. Make it a point every day to talk with God. For a long time now, my wife Anna and I spend the first hour of every day at the Adoration Chapel at Mary Star of the Sea, our home parish in La Jolla. It's a great time, early in the morning while it's still dark, to sit quietly and to pray, not asking for anything, just sitting quietly before God, being fully and deliberately in his presence. After that, we attend daily Mass at 8 o'clock. It's a great way to start the day, and I highly recommend it. It's been another of the great blessings of my life. After all these years, if we happen to miss our morning routine, well, it seems like the day is somehow off kilter. Now, your denominational traditions may differ, but strive to spend time with God every day. It's best if you build it into your day. Make it an appointment. Don't miss it. And for goodness sakes, don't be late. Well, as with any relationship, it's important to listen as well as to talk. And it's also important to note that God gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason. Spend twice as much time listening to God as you do talking to him. Hey, that works pretty well in any relationship, especially with a husband or a wife, and I can tell you that for sure. Now, as with prayer, it's a good idea to set aside a specific time every day to read and to study God's Word, to listen to Him. And don't make it just 10 minutes in the morning or 10 minutes before you go to sleep at night, reading a chapter or a few verses from the Bible. Make a commitment, my friend. If you run or work out regularly, you won't make much progress if you spend only 10 minutes at it every other day and do it sporadically. Carve out a good, solid hour at minimum on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And don't skip your spiritual workout. It's one thing to have a flabby body. It's quite another to have a flabby soul. Now, I realize that for most of my adult life, I've had the enormous privilege of studying and teaching full-time, both at UCLA and with Logos Bible Study. Nowadays, I teach on Monday and Tuesday and drive my 500-mile circuit, and I study and write on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 
and a pretty good chunk of Saturday. That's my job. It's how I make a living. Now, of course, you needn't do that, but you should build study into your routine. As St. Paul wrote to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Talking to God and listening to God and doing it every day at a fixed time will go a long way toward building an intimate personal relationship with him. Another way to deepen your relationship with God and with his son is to visit where Jesus lived, to see what he saw, to hear what he heard, to walk where he walked. When you read the Bible, you read black words on a white page. But when you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you will experience God's word in technicolor and Dolby sound. Here's an example. I'll be leading a teaching tour to Israel in just a few days. I leave with a group of 55 of our Logo students this Friday. That will be my 59th teaching tour to Israel. Well, I think we've got that one down. We arrive in Tel Aviv late in the evening on Saturday. And on Sunday morning, we head north to Galilee, stopping at Caesarea Maritima, where St. Paul spent two years, Megiddo, site of the great climactic battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation, and Nazareth along the way. Now, Nazareth is the town where the angel Gabriel visited Mary in the Annunciation story, and it's the town where Jesus grew up. When Pope Paul VI visited Nazareth in 1964, he wrote, and I quote him, Nazareth, Nazareth is a kind of school where we may begin to discover what Christ's life was like, and even to understand his gospel. Here we can observe and ponder the simple appeal of the way God's Son came to be known, profound, yet full of hidden meaning. And gradually, we may even learn to imitate him. Here, we can learn to realize who Christ really is. And here, we can sense and take account of the conditions and circumstances that surrounded and affected his life on earth. The places, the tenor of the times, the culture, the language, religious customs. In brief, everything which Jesus used to make himself known to the world. Here, everything speaks to us. Everything has meaning. In Nazareth, we'll visit Mary's well, the spring that supplied fresh water to the village where Jesus grew up. Now, you can be sure that every evening, Mary and the other women of the village would fetch water from the well to use in the morning. And all the little children, including Jesus, would come with them, running and playing together, as the women exchanged news of the day, gossiped and laughed. Standing at the well, I'll tell the story. 
and it will come to life as never before. We'll visit the Church of the Annunciation, the largest Roman Catholic church in the Middle East, and I'll tell the story of Gabriel and Mary, and of Mary's faith and courage in accepting God's offer to become mother to his son, although Mary herself was little more than 14 or 15 years old. Then, in late afternoon, we'll continue on to the Sea of Galilee. Now just imagine, yesterday you had breakfast in your kitchen at home. Today, you're having dinner on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. A few years ago, I led a small group of Logo students on a 43-mile hike from Nazareth to Capernaum. We walked the Jesus Trail, the very route that Jesus took when he made the same journey. We literally walked in the footsteps of Jesus. It was an extraordinary experience, feeling the ground beneath our feet, the effort of walking uphill on uneven ground, tripping over stones, the occasional rain, the local Palestinian food, and it's delicious, I can tell you, and the expectation of arriving at our destination tired and with sore feet. Now, you can read the Gospels. You can read spiritual books about Jesus. But you will never know him as you do after walking in his footsteps. Seeing the Sea of Galilee as his eyes saw it, smelling and tasting fish from the Sea of Galilee, grilled over an open charcoal flame, as the risen Jesus did with his disciples at the end of John's Gospel. On pilgrimage, you experience Jesus intimately, unlike any other way. Now, as I said, we leave for Israel on Friday, January 4th. It's not a shop and shrine tour. It's a teaching tour. At every site, I'll be teaching a story from Scripture, and I'll record my teaching and post it right here as a podcast on Scripture Uncovered. So stay tuned, my friends. And by all means, come with me on a future Logos pilgrimage. Hey, we're all pilgrims on this earth, and we all pass through our various landscapes. Let's share this one together. Now, before I sign off, I'd like to clear my desk of any leftover questions you may have asked during the year. So here goes. Randy writes from Miltona, Minnesota. I've been studying the book of Isaiah for about the last three months. I've listened to Dr. Bill's lectures a couple of times. I did a study of the Apostle Paul using Dr. Creasy's lectures on Paul, his epistles, and his letters. I've also listened to Luke Timothy Johnson's lectures and read N.T. Wright's book on Paul, both of which are very good, I may add. Can you guide me to lectures or books on the prophet Isaiah? Well, thank you very much for that inquiry, uh, Randy, and thank you, too, for being such a loyal listener and student. I'm scheduled to teach the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, 
this coming fall of 2019. And I'll put together a comprehensive reading list of secondary works for it at that time. I included one lesson, lesson number 13 on Isaiah, in my Kings of Israel and Judah course, which will be in the online classroom pretty soon. In the meantime, you may want to listen to my Isaiah course on audible.com. The course is eight and a half hours long. It has 171 reviews, 131 of them five star, with an average of 4.8. That would be a good place to start. Now, as far as books are concerned, John Oswald's massive two-volume commentary, the first volume on Isaiah 1 through 39, the second on Isaiah 40 through 66. It's in the New International Commentary on the Old Testament series, published by Erdman's in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. The first volume was published in 1986, the second in 1998. It's a very solid, comprehensive work from a theologically conservative perspective. While Martin Sweeney's The Prophetic Literature, published by Abington Press in Nashville, in 2005, focuses on a literary reading of Isaiah. And that's a reading that I share. And I have to add that I really like Ben Witherington III's work on the New Testament. And his recent book, Isaiah, Old and New, Exegesis, Intertextuality, and Hermeneutics, published by Fortress Press in Minneapolis in 2017, is one that I'll use extensively when I write our Major Prophets course this coming fall. So, these three books offer good starting points for a detailed study, and they will lead you to other books if you check their bibliography and footnotes. My Audible course will get your engine started. Now, I have another question from Gary via the internet. Gary writes, I listened to your Audible Books lecture on Joshua. It was an interesting and informative talk on the first eight chapters of Joshua. Now, my question is about the Ark, that is, the Ark of the Covenant. My understanding was that only the high priest viewed the Ark once a year. And when the Ark was being transported by the Levites, it was covered. If this is the case, then the people of Israel would not have seen the ark, only the outer coverings that wrapped it. Now, not being critical, but trying to get a deeper understanding of the word, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I'm doing a teaching on the entire Bible, and although I'm not the most qualified to teach, I'm striving to grasp a deeper understanding of the word. Well, Gary, I commend you for that. Uh, you are a fine student, and I'm sure you will make a fine teacher. And thank you for the question about the Ark of the Covenant in Joshua. And you're right. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies where the Ark was kept. And only one time each year on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Early on, however, the Ark marched in front of the Israelites as they headed into battle like we see 
in the story of the fall of Jericho in Joshua. Uncovered, it seems to have been the source of great fear when the enemy saw it coming. There's a very nice painting of this scene of the Ark of the Covenant crossing the Jordan River. It's a painting by Benjamin West titled Joshua Passing the River Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant. It's an oil on wood from about 1800, and it's in the art gallery of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. You can Google it online, and you'll find a reproduction of it. Nevertheless, the Philistines capture the Ark at Eben-Ezer in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And the Philistines who possess it, oh, they didn't count on this. They are stricken with terminal hemorrhoids. That's right, terminal hemorrhoids. As it's moved from place to place, they finally send it back to the Israelites. They want to get rid of the thing. Now, there's a fresco of this scene from the Dura Europis Synagogue, which is now in the National Museum in Syria. Nicholas Poussin, in a painting, The Plague at Ashdod, an oil on canvas from 1630, captures the plague of hemorrhoids very nicely. Every time I teach the story, I've got to laugh. Terminal hemorrhoids. The painting, the Poussin painting, is in the Louvre Museum in Paris. And by the way, lesson number three in my story of King David tells all about it. Of course, as we all know, the Ark of the Covenant disappears entirely with the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BC. Jeremiah is the last to mention it. But we know that Indiana Jones found it in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's now in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. Oh, that was a great movie. See it again. You'll have fun. So here we are at the end of the year, the end of podcast number 40, and I'll be heading off for Israel in just a couple of days. So blessings to all of you. I'll be recording and posting those lectures on site in Israel, right here on Scripture Uncovered. So until I see you again, bye-bye now. God bless. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.